The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome, everybody, to The Second Stage. Jeff, been a cold couple weeks here in Cleveland, Ohio. Good thing we're not spending any time here. That it is cold, and what I always find interesting, and some meteorologists, is the sunnier it is, the colder it is. Yeah, and, and you know what? Though I'll take the sun and the cold because I the uh, the straight uh, the straight cold's not good. But the good thing, Jeff, is I was you know kind of pointing out is that uh, we're traveling so much that it makes it uh, makes it seem like it's uh, not as cold here in Cleveland. So, Brennan, what are your thoughts about the private equity industry and how hard it is today versus, let's say, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago? Well, I think it's a lot harder because I think it used to be 10, 15 plus years ago, money was differentiated people. And uh, now it has very little to do with with money. I mean, obviously, you got to have the money. It's a table stake and and it's getting harder and harder <laughs> in the smaller world to raise the capital. But, um, you know, it's uh, – it's. Uh, I think it's a lot harder, Jeff. How would you answer that question? I would agree, and I would say there's just no more free gifts, low hanging fruit out there. I mean, you got to grind, and uh, you know, one of the things we want to talk about in this first segment is is give people a flavor as to what we do at Evolution, and um, and you know as well as I that. Since the very beginning of the year, we've been traveling every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday uh, to some part of the country in all time zones, exploring new opportunities, working with our existing partner companies, uh, raising capital, and it is a continuous battle, and you got to be on your game uh, at all times. It gets, it gets – uh, it's hard. It's hard. I, I will say, though, Jeff, that is, um, as, as we have – found our values and our purpose, finding the right partners has gotten a whole lot easier. Um, you know, our partner companies and identifying those people. I got to tell you, uh, Barbara and I had the privilege to speak to two entrepreneurs last week and one group, uh, we'll say group of entrepreneurs. Um, we got on the phone and they outlined their what they had done to create their values, what they had done to create their purpose, what they had had done to dig into the financials, and they could they could unbelievably a very small company, you know, sub sub five six million dollars in revenue. Um, they could they could specifically speak to what they you know what they wanted to do in the future. It was you know you literally hung up the phone and you said, "Wow, what a what a wonderful group you'd love to be part of." And then again, an equally energetic, uh, well-intentioned entrepreneur that we spoke to last week, um, and as you know, we, we speak to multiple, but it was just funny because these were so close to each other. And then the next one was, 
he was energetic. He he could tell where he wanted to go, but he couldn't explain how to get there. He couldn't describe his uniques. He couldn't describe the values or the purpose for the company, other than the fact that he thought he could do more, do more volume and make more. And it just really separates. You know, you just you wish that you could tape record those two and play them to entrepreneurs to have them hear the difference between the two. Yeah, I would say the thing that gets us excited is obviously somebody that has their data together. You know, they know their value proposition and they have data points to support that value proposition. And they also have their financials together, uh, which again collects that data. I think that is something that really sets these organizations apart. We do add value to that second entrepreneur that you mentioned that doesn't yeah. really have. Uh, a path, but it's a lot harder because as you and I have talked many times, someone that knows how to get there and can lay it out for you, those folks are so much easier to partner with than those where we really have to think and help them think through some of those details because we're kind of new to the industry. Well, and, and and it's it's also you know they're they're discovering those facts and details along you know at the same time we are, and you know it's. Uh, it's it's when you were both interpreting it, it just takes a lot a lot longer and it's more costly. But uh, but again, you know, Jeff it is passion for the possibilities and um, uh, and you know we we feel like the five pillars kind of helps everybody. But you know, f- from a from an entrepreneur perspective, if you understand the five pillars, and uh, we're obviously more than happy to explain them to you. Um, the, the the farther you can get down that line on your own, the higher the value of the business and. Quite frankly, the more interested parties that there are out there willing to talk to you. That's right. That's right. Um, and before I go much further, Brendan, we this is a very special show. And uh, the reason is is that the uh, second stage has entered the Twitter sphere. Uh, Evolution has been on Twitter for a long time, uh, almost as long as Twitter's been out there, uh, which is at Evolution underscore CP. Uh, and you can join today's discussion by using the hashtag pound. The second stay, or I guess they call it hashtag. <laughs> I'm a great Twitter uh, universe where's, guy. Where's Barbara when you need her to introduce Twitter? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I totally bombed that. I'm going to get a demerit, I'm sure, after the show. But it's hashtag the second stage, and it's it's V-T-H-E, and it's second, the number two N-D stage. So hashtag the two N-D stage. And you can join the conversation. It'll be a lot of fun to uh, have people participate on the show and uh, speak with with us and ask questions. And uh, you know, we can relay those questions to to our, our guests. Which brings me to our uh, guest last week. Uh, we had a great conversation with Kyan Krippendorf. He's the CEO of Outthinker LLC, uh, and our show is about the power of strategy. And, you know, he was one of those guests that uh, you could probably extend the show and, and continue to get a great deal out of, out of the conversation. Sharp guy. I mean, he gave me his, uh, his uh, you know, his deck of cards that talks about strategy, and I'm, I'm through my, just my first card and a half. So we got about 50-some cards to go. No, extremely smart guy and uh, lots to learn there. I, uh, I liked, you know, the eight dimensions of disruptive innovation or the eight Ps, which is, uh, um, you know, it's, it was, uh, it's a good concept and something entrepreneurs should be aware of. 
Yeah, and so I would encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that show. Uh, it aired on um, – geez, when did it air? Uh, it aired a couple weeks ago, I believe. Not, uh, I guess – what would that be? Would that the, be the, uh, the, February the, 2nd? February 2nd. Uh, February 2nd. Yeah, I'm uh, that one. <laughs> but the, the eight Ps – uh, just for, for our listeners' benefit, our position, product, price, place, promotion, processes, physical experience, and people. And each one of these areas uh, can be disruptive in, a, in an innovative way to uh, your market and to your competition. And I thought that uh, Cayenne did a great job of, of – describing how all that works. He has a lot of content online at Cayenne.net. That's K-A-I-H-A-N.net. And uh, if you want to follow up on some of the concepts that he introduced during the show. But great, great guy and uh, someone that we would like to have back on our show. Uh, today's show, we have a, uh, a, a true entrepreneur, uh, Brendan. His name is Bernie Brenner co-founder and executive vice president of business development for True Car, Inc., uh, which can be found at truecar.com. Uh, and he's also the author of The Sumo Advantage. Uh, the, today's show is embracing the business development mindset. And Bernie, in the articles that I've read, uh, really goes into great detail about the difference between business development and sales. And we'll explore that a little bit more on the show. Um but, uh, you know, Bernie is an expert in strategic business development, enjoys the development of new businesses and markets, and he specializes in securing and expanding strategic partnerships and is a frequent speaker on business development to entrepreneurs and venture investors. As I had mentioned, he's a co-founder and executive vice president of business development for True Car, a company focused on changing on how cars are sold. And essentially, True Car gives or offers uh, potential buyers information about what people have paid for cars in the market so that they don't overpay. And uh, Bernie, under Bernie's direction, True Car secured more than 100 business development deals or strategic partners, including USAA, American Express, Geico, Nationwide Insurance, Consumer Reports, and AAA, generating over $100 million in annual revenue. So uh, anxious to talk uh, more on air with Bernie about his experiences and how small entrepreneurs can uh, take advantage of uh, these strategic partnerships. And in fact, uh, Bernie wrote a book called The Sumo Advantage, Leveraging Business Development to Team with Heavyweights and Grow in Any Economy. Uh, it was initially published uh, a little over a year ago in January of 2014, and it's gotten some great reviews. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about more, uh, excuse me, talk a little bit more about uh, The Sumo Advantage uh, when, when Bernie joins us on, on our show. Um, and then, as I say every week, we want to remind everyone that each week we want to provide actionable advice and have you continue the dialogue through comments and questions on our blog at evolutioncp.com. We want to hear what works and what doesn't. We want to create a true community of entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. You can also email us at the, the second stage at evolutioncp.com. And as of today, you can also connect with the second stage via Twitter at evolution underscore CP and join the discussion by using hashtag 
the T-H-E, second two N-D stage. So it's the second stage, but second is two N-D. Anyway, um, that is all, Brendan, for this first segment. I also want to uh, uh, thank our sponsors, McGladry LLP, their leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. And with that, we are going to take a quick break and be with our uh, back with our guest, Bernie Brenner, and talk a little bit more about business development mindset and hear about his book, The Sumo Advantage. Thanks for tuning in to The Second Stage. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson. Uh, as I had said before the break, uh, you can join the conversation for the very first time on Twitter at hashtag the second stage, uh, and second is 2ND, not spelled out uh, with letters. And we are here with our guest, Bernie Brenner. Uh, he is um, the author of a book called The Sumo Advantage, Leveraging Business Development to Team with Heavyweights and Grow in Any Economy, which was published originally in January 14. Uh, and Bernie is also the vice president of business development for True Car Inc., uh, which, as many people know already, has been a huge success and in, in changes the way people 
people are are buying cars today, and the the business development relate in strategic partnerships that Bernie uh, um, negotiated for True Car have translated into sales of over a hundred million dollars. So we're lucky to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Bernie. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, for the for the listeners, uh, if you uh, look into Bernie's background, the guy, he is a true uh, entrepreneur. I mean, you know, I don't know, Bernie. Probably, um, how many businesses have you uh, started, been involved with? It just looks like you know, from just googling the names and so forth, quite a, quite a number. Yeah, I've been uh, involved in probably five or six, and and different stages. I've started several companies. I've gone and worked at companies to initiate a BD strategy, uh, like with Carfax, which was around for 10 years and needed to kick them into some double-digit uh, growth again. So I've, been, uh, I've had multiple experiences. I started with MCA Records, which was uh, a huge, you know, very big company, uh, but I learned a lot of my relationship skills there as a promoter. So I've been around, but my heart is with entrepreneurship. So, uh, and my companies, you know, True Car, we've been around for 10 years now. So, uh, you know, you, you got to see it through to the end. And uh, I try and, you know, you, you got it like anybody else, you have to go through that. But, yeah, a, a variety of experiences, which also help me uh, as I help entrepreneurs. Yeah, I mean, I, when reading some of the stuff you wrote about the difference between or the you know business business development and strategic partnerships and how those really fit together, maybe talk briefly about, you know, why that's in so, so important, some examples, and quite frankly, you know, how you've been able to really you know, drive the businesses based off of those concepts. Yeah, so I'm a big believer that uh, business development, as I define it, and just strategic partnerships in general, uh, uh, need to be a component of a company's overall growth strategy. And it's a challenge for some because they, they're, they're, the key thing is you want revenue, so you build your product or service, revenue, and then revenue means let me push sales out. But there's another way of going about it. It takes a little longer, but it's, it's much more par- uh, powerful. So I think it's important for entrepreneurs to embrace uh, this idea early. And you asked why it's important. Partnerships can change the competitive landscape. And you know, most entrepreneurs, they're, they're coming up with some you know, disruptive idea, at least in their mind. They're going to they're do it better. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna offer something that's different or it's done differently than what's out there before. So, and that's the drive. That's where the, the spirit comes from. So when you partner, you can really change the marketplace by, with, without you necessarily grabbing market share yet. And it can create barriers to entry. It gives you a distinct advantage in the market, uh, which is key. And in the end, when you're building what I refer to as this BD layer, business development layer within the organization, it actually accelerates your sales and marketing. Uh, it makes it substantially more powerful. So BD is there to drive a lot of it. It's not, it's not, um, uh, it's not in lieu of sales. It's, it's more of a strategy to help accelerate your sales later on. And we can go through some examples if we have time. And, and I, of course, I love talking about this because it's, it's real for entrepreneurs, uh, and they should be at least considering it. Sometimes they're not ready to do it, but they should be considering a strategy like that. I'd love to talk about some examples, and, and I think that that for, from the entrepreneur listeners, it, it kind of helps them kind of sh- kind of mess up their or kind of shake their memory a little bit. Yeah, you know, Bernie, let me actually chime in here because, you know, I was reading through some of these articles and the two things that I think struck me about uh, this this partnership 
role with uh, Goliath, if you will, is that some of these small entrepreneurs might feel like they're being taken advantage of or could be taken advantage of by the much larger uh, you, you know, partner. And also that these small organizations might be giving those secrets away and a larger competitor could take advantage of them. How would you, how would you respond to those, those concerns? Yeah, and that's a very common feeling, uh, and it's scary for entrepreneurs. And I, I would say, I, I, in, in every scenario, I operate with, I'm going to do it better. And yes, these big companies technically could do it, theoretically could do it, but they're not going to do it. The, the, this entrepreneurship generally doesn't work in a big company. And this is why you see large companies buying small companies or smaller companies all the time. I mean, you know, we're building these companies as entrepreneurs, and if, certainly if you're venture-backed, you need to look at what is the exit. Venture-backed companies are not building lifestyle businesses. So the key there is to, or at least from my perspective, is just you, you go and you talk about it, and, and the BD is about pitching vision. And w- with that conviction, you're basically saying, look, this, this is happening. Here's why I'm capable of doing this and why my team and my money and everything else is there. And this train is cranking. This train is going down the road and you're on the station. Do you want to be on the station or do you want to be on the train? And so, so it starts there, the true belief that they're not going to be able to do it. And you know, some may say that's naive, but I have never experienced a scenario that I have been in where the company has actually accomplished uh, a, a competitive situation. Th- there's a few that have said, you know what, we may consider doing it ourselves. And I say, great, go ahead. And ultimately within a few years, they're calling us to say, you know, remember this conversation we had? Well, you opened our eyes to it. We couldn't get it done. So I'm a, I'm a true believer in the entrepreneur. And I think that we'll always do it better because we're more nimble uh, and we, we are just more aggressive and, and have more creativity. So I don't, I don't really worry about that much. As it relates to being taken advantage of from a term standpoint, that's the other piece of the, the, the belief system, which is if it's not the right deal, don't do it. And so I, I, I've, and I've seen this in every large company. It's naturally what they try and do. They push these terms out there that are, quote, you know, boilerplate or part of what they do. For example, they never do a multi-year deal. Well, that, then we're not doing a deal. This is a partnership situation, and it takes a while to mature, cultivate, and uh, mature the, the partnership. Generally, the return is really you're looking at a three-year horizon from when you start to where you're really feeling some great results. And if you're in a one-year deal, uh, you're not going to – there's going to be too much pressure on the renewal uh, and you're not going to be able to realize that. So you want a multi-year deal, a multi-year commitment. And in the early stages with an entrepreneur, if you if you can't get that from them, walk away, because it, we're we're all limited on resources, especially in the early stages. And so for for an entrepreneur and a, a young team, or an early stage team, I should say, to uh, invest so much in a partnership that doesn't have the right commitment could really could be disastrous for them. So I think structurally it starts with structurally making it work and the discipline to believe, to know that if it's not there structurally, then I need to walk away from this. It's not worth the risk. Uh, that, then it's potentially too much risk. So I think that's, that, that's how you handle the vulnerability side uh, or the, the, the potential of being taken advantage of by the big company. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, that's that. That's a great answer. I my partner's having some technical difficulties, so he's uh, he's not chiming in. But maybe you could walk through some examples in the marketplace today uh, of of where the, the this has worked. Yeah, sure. Well, let's use TrueCar as the first example. Uh, when we started TrueCar, we actually did not launch a consumer brand. And in the automotive space, and we're really trying to change, and we have changed how cars are sold. Cars, cars are bought and sold. We are the modern way uh, uh, for consumer retailing. And it requires transparency and empowering the consumer or, or you know, um, minimizing the, the uh, power differential that has existed in automotive. And there are, there are great dealers who want to do that, but it's hard to overcome the perception that, that, that dealers have in the market. So we went about, if you think about a company launching a brand, TrueCar.com, let's just say, and you, you, you go to a dealership, or you, you know, the sales effort, and this is where the BD layer comes in, the sales effort is you're, you're knocking on dealers' doors, and you're saying, hey, we, we want to offer a, a bring-you buyers, a car buying solution. As part of it, though, we need to show transparency so the consumers are going to see what everyone else paid on, your, on the car, and then you're going to provide them with an upfront price. This is going to completely change the process about how you're interacting with consumers today. Uh, and if we didn't get thrown out of the dealership, because we're, you know, the true car, we're not doing that. This, this is what they could say. Then they'd say, well, how many visitors do you have? Well, we don't have any visitors yet because we need the dealers before we can get the visitors. Well, what's the quality going to be? We don't know the quality because we don't have any visitors yet because we need the dealer. So that's, that's a scenario that's somewhat common, the chicken and egg situation for some entrepreneurs. When we signed USAA, and for those who are not familiar with USAA, they're one of the best companies in the, in the world in terms of taking care of the customers. When, right after we launched, they came out on the cover of Business Week as the number one customer service brand uh, in the country, and they focus on military and their families, financial institution. So very powerful in the market. They have about 10 million members now. And so when you're knocking on a dealer's door, this is, this is now the BD deal is now going to help sales. So now the salesperson is going into the dealership and saying, hey, do you want to be a USAA certified dealer where you, the USA members are going to come to you and buy cars? Sign, the answer is sign me up. There's not even a question, well, how many visitors do you have? We didn't even have a website yet when we, when we, when we, started building the dealer network. It, we were building that at the same time. But because we secured the partnership with USAA, it completely changed the dynamic of how we now are acquiring or, or selling to our, um, to, in this case, to the dealerships. And we had to deal with marketing and getting the USA members in and, and building that relationship there. But the, the point is, we, we were, this was the only way we could have launched. We could not have launched without the power like that. So that's an example of that deal completely changed the strategy for how we would go to market or how someone else would go to market if they decided they just wanted to launch a website. Hey, Bernie, I'm sure that... I'm sorry. I'm sure the entrepreneur. I'm sure this is Brendan. I'm sure entrepreneurs are sitting out there saying, "How did how did you get USAA without a website? I mean, how how does was it was it was it calling and convincing them of your value proposition, or maybe walk us through that 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 mindset or that process?" Sure, sure. Well, so it was a very hard deal to get, as you can imagine. We were the the first non AAA rated company to ever do a deal with USA in its 80 year history. Uh, and wow. so it was a very complicated, very difficult deal to get. And actually, it started, the story around it is it started with an RFP for technology. Uh, they wanted what's referred to as a configurator. It sort of really doesn't matter what the functionality is. But the key there was 
they were looking at, well, can we provide our customers with a way that they can select their vehicle? Select the vehicle, just how would they configure it? Had no nothing else other than the data around this car comes with leather seats and whatever. And they already had uh, some functionality around that, and they were they were probably paying somewhere between one hundred fifty and two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year for the license for that software. So they put an RFP out to see if there are others who can provide that software. So we responded not with a technology solution, but with a service capability that USAA, from a vision standpoint, could buy into. It, could, it would be incredible for their members. It would be incredible for their brand. It would help them facilitate more loans. And it was no longer about the technology. And when you're, when you're focusing that way, and now you assume everyone else who's responding to an RFP is responding literally to, here are the data sets, here's the API capabilities, and this is the fee, $250,000. And we come in, and they can have all of that, and it's completely free. So it already disrupts the mindset of everyone who is assessing the opportunity within USAA. And then it forces the conversation. And when you get the conversation, which took a long time to get, I had to go through probably four different departments from the RFP in the tech world to the actual business owners in the, in the banking world, to finally get there, and again, you're always pitching this vision of what could be, but, the, but I'm pitching a value prop that no other company who's in the mix is offering. And so That's great. Through, a, through a series of meetings, we got them. Now, now the other aspect is when you, you, you asked, well, how did you do it without a website? It was the, this team that we assembled, this founding group of us, we've been trying to innovate in the automotive space for 20 years. So we had a lot of expertise and we had a lot of money behind us at the same time. Before We went public in May and before that, we had raised two hundred million uh, before we, you know, before the IPO. So, <laughs> so that helps. Just, just, just two hundred million. <laughs> yeah, but you know, look, it doesn't start with two hundred out of the gate. At the time when we did USA, <laughs> we probably raised uh, it might have been eight million, which is a lot of money, especially you know ten yeah. years ago. But but we had the we had the resumes in a sense to be able to and the expertise to to gain that, and they saw the vision. You know, the investors saw the opportunity. So yeah, and 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 I just wanted to stress though. For any, everyone listening out there, I've also been in a scenario where I've done deals with massive companies, big companies, um, specifically Symantec, which is, runs uh, you know, antivirus and uh, security software, and a company called Aon Warranty Group. Again, multi-billion dollar companies, and I didn't have any funding at all. So I, I don't want anybody to think that you have to have the major cash in the bank and you know, millions of dollars in, in, in fundraising in order to get these to work. I have done it where... I've had no money. I've done it where the company's been around for 10 years and we had to kickstart a whole variety of things. And then, of course, a well-funded startup. So it it works in every scenario. And I know that when I speak often at uh, some of these events, I'll get the question, well, what if you don't have millions? And you don't have to. It's it's more about a a mindset and a process in order to execute the strategy. It's not necessarily you, you have to have money in the bank. And with that, we are going to take a quick break and be with our uh, back with our guest, Bernie Brenner, and talk a little bit more about his book, The Sumo Advantage. Thanks for tuning in to The Second Stage. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance Tax Consulting. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. I want to apologize for all the technical difficulties we're apparently having. Everything sounds great to me, but apparently it doesn't to our listeners. Uh, we're back here em- embracing the business development mindset with our guest, Bernie Brenner, co-founder and executive vice president of business development at True Car Inc. and author of The Sumo Advantage. Um, we want to bounce into some of the, the uh, discussion between sales and business development and why this distinction is so important, Bernie. So, yeah, this is, this is key to effectively executing on a, uh, a BD strategy. And, and so I beat, look, the problem in the market is business development is a catch-all for a whole variety of things. Some thinks it's sales, some it's corp dev, it's legal, it could be marketing, so I think it's important to define it, and the reason to define it is so that you can act on it uh, in a specific way, which I know then uh, brings great results. So the way I define it is sales is about selling a product or a service, and that's you know, normal. Everyone thinks about it that way. BD is about providing a vision, where you're going to go. And, and there, there's a big difference once you establish that BD is not sales that then um, 
you, you can act on, and, and it, it, it includes these four distinctions. So when you, when you buy into the premise that sales is about a, vision, sales is about a product or service and BD is about, about a vision, then, um, then these four pieces, these four distinctions play in, which is, number one, BD is very strategic in nature. There's really nothing strategic about sales. I mean, there's strategic selling, but the sale itself, is there, is there something really strategic about that? I don't think so, or I haven't found it to be uh, a super strategic situation. Where BD is all about strategy. It's about the two companies coming together and creating a, a bigger opportunity. Uh, so that's, that's the first distinction. The second, which I think is, is really clear, is that there's no direct revenue in a BD deal. Uh, so if you think about sales, and in my book, I talk about, I, I use, try and boil everything down to paper cups, just to, so to make it quite simple, and the idea that uh, if you're selling paper cups, you know, that, that's clearly a numbers game. You're, you're, you're figuring out how many paper cups you're going to sell in a month. And uh, the definition of a sale is a, an exchange of assets, generally product or service for money. And so that sales, business development, Every deal that I've done, there's no money that changes hands. It's, it's not about a transaction. The transaction does not govern the relationship. And that is very, very important to understand because then you support the deal, uh, um, the, support the relationship after the deal is done in a very, very different way. So, and even if there is a little money that changes hands to do something, maybe you have to help with some development or something, it, it's insignificant relative to the overall size of the opportunity. So that that's the key that the that the sales is governed by that transaction that change of assets you know you know good for goods for money uh, and the third is everyone's plate is full and if you're pitching a vision and you're and you're you're, you're doing true business development what you're talking about is not on that plate versus paper cups let's go back to the cups as an example if you're selling paper cups and you're selling to a coffee shop well there's someone at the coffee shop who is in charge and responsible for purchasing cups. Otherwise, the coffee shop can't sell coffee. So what you're selling is on their plate. In BD, what you're pitching this potential opportunity is not on. Is not, no one is responsible for that at that point. So th- that is a huge thing to think about when you're talking about tactics for how to get into a deal, uh, you know, whether it's cold calling or this, that you have to speak very differently. Uh, and then the fourth is behavioral. And so if you understand the first three, the, the fourth then is focus on not getting a no because you're not going to get a yes. Where in sales, you know, the ABC always be closing. How do I get to yes? Get to yes faster. That's very common in sales and there are tactics associated with getting to that result. In, in business development, there's no way you're getting to a yes in the first, second, or third pitch. So you have to focus on not getting the no. And as I, I gave you an example with USAA, there was no way I was going to close USAA in, in any time in the first three or four months. So I was never going for the yes. What I was trying to convince them of is the opportunity, the vision the, that, that we can um, create together, which is very different. Never talking about never trying to go for the close at all because I would lose them. Then, then it's very easy to say no. So that, 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 that's the key, not only to understand the difference, but understand these four distinctions, which then allow you to create a game plan around how to um, effectively execute a BD strategy. 
I tell you, when I when I listen to uh, to you talk, Bernie, it, you know, it's I hear a lot of patience, patience. You know, you, you know, and it's something in some of your articles. It's you know, really, it's you gotta you gotta think through this and be willing to invest the time. Uh, may, maybe tell me a little bit about why you refer to these partners as as sum as uh, sumos. Yeah, and um, sure. that, that's a great name, by the way. I love it. Thank you. So first of all, I am I'm one. If you were to ask everyone in True Car, I am not a patient guy. But I understand <laughs> the goal, and I want these deals. I mean, you know, the, the best, I'll tell you what I love the most, is I've been in a situation a couple of times where very big companies will just literally say to me, there is no way we're ever going to sign a deal. And just, just out of the gate, we hey, we'd love to, but we, the, the corporation could never embrace something like that. And in both cases where it's happened in a big way, within three months, we're signing an agreement. So... That's what gets me going, and, and uh, I, I love that part of it. So you have to have the right amount of patience, but I'm not a patient guy, and uh, so I do a lot of things through that process to create urgency, even though I understand it's going to take a lot of time. In, in terms of why I, I refer to a partner, a potential partner as a sumo, well, this gets back to one uh, I've always come from and speak and think about from the perspective of uh, the entrepreneur, the smaller company, who wants to do a, a deal with a very large company. And so that's why they're the sumo. They're the big player. The, the, in typical environment, you know, when it comes to sales opportunities, those opportunities are often referred to, hey, let's go get the big whale, or they're the 800-pound gorilla in the space, and we want to land them. And so that's great, and those are, those are really exciting and very helpful for a company. But, but there's a different dynamic there. You know, if, you refer to, if you look at a sumo, which I, I refer to as the partner, the sumo is a warrior. The, the sumo understands the rules of engagement, you know, around the ring. The sumo understands how to adapt and how to think strategically and then tactically implement something. And that's what we want. The, the gorilla is completely reactive. So is the whale. You know, and that's, that's a typical sales environment. If I want my paper cups tomorrow, you're going to send me my paper cups tomorrow. And if I didn't get the cups, you're going to make good on it. And if I want more, I'm going to send you an order and you're going to respond to me. And they're only, they only care about them. And now they care about you, maybe, you know, the company as, I hope you're doing well because we rely on you. But it is about them. And the sumo, I want partners, I want uh, entrepreneurs to leverage the assets of the sumo to compete in their own space, not in the sumo space, but basically we're a small entrepreneur and we're, if we're going up against an incumbent and you have the power of the sumo behind you and, and their warrior style and their assets that they, they bring to the market, that makes you that powerful. And that's why I like to, re, to think about them as a sumo that you're getting, not the gorilla or not the big whale, which are commonly common uh, references in the uh, sales environment. All right. Um, so now we've 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 understand what we're kind of looking for. Maybe talk about the best way to identify those potential uh, sumo partners. Yeah, and this is a challenge for most. But look, you get your team in a room, advisors. If you're really small, however, whoever understands uh, the marketplace, start thinking about your market. And I, I, there's a variety of ways you can go after. But I think the easiest way is to think about where you are most vulnerable as a company and as an early stage company. And if a competitor of yours were to partner with X, how would it hurt you? And you may not know X. You may have to think, okay, who could they partner with? What if, if they hooked up with this company or that company, would that be a problem for us? And if it is, then you either need to go and partner with that company or you need to be prepared 
that that, that, that your competitor will partner with that company. It may never happen, but you need to anticipate that that is going to happen or assume it will so that you can make sure that you are, um, you know, uh, adjusting appropriately in this, because you don't want to get blindsided. So I find that to be the best way when I'm communicating with entrepreneurs. They can clearly think about if their competitor did this, how would it hurt them versus the, the blank slate of who, who could I possibly do a deal with. So I think thinking from the where you get hurt is probably the best way to, um, to assess who is in the position to partner with you. That's a, as, as you're sitting here talking, I'm trying to walk through our partner companies, and it's a, it's a it is a fun exercise. It's pretty it's pretty neat to do yeah. it. Um, the um, maybe talk about at what stage uh, somebody should start thinking about you know developing a BD effort and um, and what they would need to to do it. So I, I think that every stage of the company uh, they should be thinking <laughs> about it, but it requires a commitment. And and I think the worst thing that can happen is you. A CEO entrepreneur says, you know, we, we should be partnering. And I've seen this. I, I, I'm also a partner at the Capital Factory here in Austin, uh, which is really the hub of entrepreneurship. We have 50,000 square feet of space just packed with uh, early stage entrepreneurs. And so I advise to a variety of them. And, you know, some say that they want, hey, I've read your book, Bernie, and we really want this and we want you to be a mentor. And I start helping them. But they're really not ready. And the reason why is they, they don't want to commit that time and that patience so it's, it's, it's fine to say you want uh, a partnership strategy, but you really have to commit to it. And if you, if you apply sales metrics to your BD person who's out there, which frankly in the early stages should really be the CEO, uh, it's going to fail because you're not going to get the results early on. There's no ROI on a BD strategy in the first 6, 9, 12 months. It's just not going to happen. You just have to invest too much in relationship building and a whole variety of other things that can come up and it's just not going to materialize into sales out of the gate. So I think at every stage it's possible, but, but be honest with yourself. If you, if you can't handle the investment over the next year, let's say, and, and resources are scarce. So it's, it's not like it's an easy decision to make, then don't go for it. Cause the worst thing that can happen is you take a sumo down the road. So you have a great BD person and they, they get that sumo really interested and you can't deliver. And that's a disaster. So don't go for it, but have it in the plan that maybe you do it in year two or year three, whatever. So uh, I believe everyone can handle it. I just, I, I, it's a, it's a mental exercise and a a cultural change that has to happen within the organization as well. Um, uh, it's, <laughs> it's uh, it's fun to dream about. Talk about maybe when what point you get to where there is a big company, you know, that would agree to partner um, and, um, What's essential to the process? Um, you know, that's, that may not be as obvious to most people. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, with going back to the four distinctions, the the fourth is the behavioral change, which is the focus on not getting a no, and you really have to employ that. And so, a salesperson generally, uh, like, you know, I'm not saying all salespeople can't do BD, and BD people can probably do sales, but you know, it's not as exciting for them. Because you're either promote, you're either um, motivated by the quarter and your commissions, or you're motivated on a longer term situation. So uh, you, you have to you can't send a salesperson in who still has their quarterly number and their commissions they want to hit into a uh, potential BD deal that's going to take a year to close or six months or nine months to close, and then still not have revenue after. Because remember, there's no money that changes hands when the deal's done. So I think uh, once you once you have, once you start 
in the right situation, then you're, as you're getting the, the sumo, uh, sumo's attention, there's a few key factors that keep them going. And again, it's focused on the not getting a no. And so for me, I like to maintain control throughout the process in a, in a process that you really don't have a lot of control over because the big company is going to try and dictate uh, a lot of things. And, and mostly it's, they're so busy, everything, you know, they have, their plate is full that their timeline is not the same. So my wife used to ask me, uh, why are you always traveling to these companies? Why aren't they coming to you? And I would say, because I want to keep them on my timeline. And if I wait for them to come to me, they may never come. So if I'm That's going into point. town, I'm going to be there, you know, and I'm saying I'm going to be there next month. Well, they're going to take a meeting with me next month because I am in town then, and I'm going to force that meeting. So that's one piece. The other piece is uh, to not give them too much information. So through that process, the very typical, you know, the, the, our, our, uh, our COO, uh, True Cardell, who used to be our head of sales, he goes into a meeting, and he, he kills a tree in every meeting. He's printing out, and he's handing everything over. I don't want I, – I, I never do a printout. The reason why is I want everyone looking at me in the front of the room during a presentation, right? I want those, and, and if you ever hand, do a printout, handout, they're always jumping to the next two, three, four slides ahead. I can't stand that. I want them, I want to <laughs> read them and I want them to be uh, connected to me as much as they can. And if they're not going to be connected, I know that that person is potentially a problem or let's just say not a supporter through the process. And I may need to put some more attention towards that one or someone else to deal with the negativity that may come from that individual. So always maintain control of the information. I never, so I, and I never release the deck. So even after the presentation, I'll, I'll always get the question, Hey, can you give us your, your PowerPoint? No, definitely not. And they're blown <laughs> away. But I, I want to tell every entrepreneur out there, I have never lost a deal. I have never offended someone to the point where they won't take the next meeting because I didn't hand this out. It's a little bit of a scary thought. You're going to say no to them. They want your information. But the reason why they want your information or the reason why you don't want to give them your, your information is because you're completely relinquishing control of the process to them. So now that individual or individuals is going to take your info, and then they're going to have other meetings, and then they're going to use your info and present it to others. But there is no one that can present your opportunity better than you can. So why would you empower someone else to do it? That's my view. And so That's I great. never release the information. I never empower some other. And I'll say, listen, you want to have a meeting about this next week? I'll be here. Tomorrow, I'll stay late. I'll, I'll stay over. So I'm always there to solve their problem, meaning they're, or they're, they're to, to uh, uh, support them in their process, but I'm not going to empower them to do it on my behalf. So that's a key thing, too. That, that, that's actually some great advice and some scary advice, but you know, sometimes you got to jump off the cliff and see what happens. Uh, right. So one, one last question, um, and we are running out of time, but I think it's a great yeah. question. You talked a little bit about uh, in, in some of your, your comments to the last question is, what terms do you look for in agreement with a sumo? Yeah, so if, if, once you get them to where it's ready for a yes, and there'll be an inflection point in that process where you know you can go for it, which is it usually comes to, the, to some point like, hey, what, so what would a deal look like with us? Now you're starting to get to yes, okay? So first thing is, Always do a term sheet. Never negotiate terms in a red line, in agreements. So force a term sheet, and it doesn't have to be a legal document. I'd like to do it in an email with, with you know, regular English versus if you get a lawyer involved, then Latin is going to show up somewhere in the document, and it's going to throw everything off. So do not work with your attorney on your term sheet. So you, you, you set your terms there. 
um, and you, you, you're very upfront about it, and you're explaining to your to the person on the business side, and they're not on the legal team yet, about why you need certain terms. So multi-year agreement. And we talked about that earlier, where multi-year is very important in a partnership because it's very hard to establish uh, success in the first year. Other piece of the puzzle, there has to be commitment from both sides. So if the entrepreneur, who's certainly very hungry and nimble and, and willing to do a lot, if you're getting no commitment from the other side, that's a problem. And, and you really have to force some aspect of commitment. Not everything. You're not going to get nirvana. And that's part of the relationship building after. Uh, but you need to get some commitment from them, whether it's marketing, exposure, you know, d- depending on the dynamics of the deal, that, that has to be there. And then also it has to be a balanced deal. There, there should be no one, in the, one party that has more leverage over the other. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I've been in many situations because you know, the entrepreneur is sort of the subject matter expert relative to the sumo in, in terms of what they're contemplating. And there are many times where I could have taken advantage, but if, you're, if partnerships are about relationships, and if you're talking about a multi-year deal, then uh, eight months from now, when your partner understands that you sort of took advantage of them because they didn't know, you're, you're going to reset the whole relationship again. You, you've lost whatever trust you've built. So it's just not worth it. Don't, ask, don't, don't take advantage of them. And at the same time, they should not be taking advantage of you. And so if you do a balanced deal, then in, in the three-year term or multi-year term, let's say, it works out well. And if it's not balanced, it generally does not work out well. Well, that, that's great advice, and we certainly look at that when we partner with our companies. We want to take care of them to build that trust because if they find out we bamboozled them months after close, <laughs> we're kind of yeah. in a bad spot. But, uh, Bernie, thank you so much for your insights, and I would encourage everybody to go out and buy The Sumo Advantage. It's a great book. I haven't made my way all the way through it, but – uh, a lot of what you're saying is is really, really helpful and I think would, would give a lot of our listeners the courage to to pursue this kind of business development strategy with uh, a larger joint venture partner. But thank you for being on the show, Bernie, and um, we will try to get you back um, to hear more about your success with your book and a true car. Thank you very much and would love to come back to second stage. Okay. Take <laughs> thank care. Thank you, Bernie. Take Bye. Jeff, I tell you what, man, I, I wrote down I, – I, I, it just brought back some wonderful thoughts as he's thinking about this, and we have a very short amount of time. But you know, they think about some of the massive successes. Well, I'll use the word bigger successes. Massive is probably an overstatement that only I can use um, about you know, they really did involve you know, you, a, a strategic partner. You think about – and I don't you – know, dying, you know, dying to use names, but um, the things I loved about what he said is patience. Don't stop pursuing this, this goal. You know, identify two or three or four sum, uh, sumos and kind of chase them all. Um, you know, the first sumo is the hardest. I, you know, I grabbed a lot of these from some of the things we read beforehand. Um, and, um, you know, business development is about fostering, is about working on the long-term vision and growth, not sales. And I got a lot of other things I could talk about, but I'm out of time, Jeff. You are out of time. And I, I, I agree with everything that you said. And I want to remind everybody that our guest name is Bernie Brenner, co-founder, executive vice president of business development at TrueCar and the author of The Sumo Advantage. Uh, and I, I would encourage you all to go out and buy the book. Uh, you can find it uh, online, uh, as you would expect. And uh, again, if, if uh, what Bernie's saying on this, uh, the second stage is any testament to what's in the 
the balance of the book that I haven't read yet, it's uh, worth uh, worth buying. Uh, anyway, thanks for tuning in to the second stage and hopefully you've gotten some actionable advice and you can certainly continue to follow us uh, on Twitter at hashtag the second stage. Dream big, passion for possibilities. For possibilities. <laughs> thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Thank you for tuning in this week to The Second Stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week. Music.